Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Today, I have certified coach Greg Scheinman. He is the host of the Midlife Mail podcast and weekly newsletter, an expert on midlife and how it's not defined by age, but a state of mind. Here he is. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm miserable. Maybe you'll help me today. I'm always miserable. Maybe maybe you'll help me out. So today on my show, I have Greg Scheinman. He is the host of the Midlife Mail podcast and weekly newsletter. And to quote Greg, I flipped the switch on what it means to be middle-aged. In the No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife and Getting Back to What Matters Most, I break down the three midlife male principles to maximizing middle age so you can take back some of the shit that you've given up. I want to know what that means, but first I want to know what you're insinuating. What, what, what is it that I've been giving up? Not that I'm middle-aged. Sure. Well, I think it's applicable at, at various ages and end stages. And I happen to focus on midlife because, quite frankly, that's right where I am. Um, but we're pushing the definition of, of middle age a little bit, Rich. You know, I mean, you think that I know some really old 30-year-olds and I know some really young 60-year-olds also. So I think the age factor to an extent is just a number, but it's really more about how you live your life. And you know, there's this age that is the number. And then there's that inner age, you know, calculation. Mm -hmm. Are you 60 and you're acting like you're 30 and that inner age is there? Are you 30 and you're like, what the fuck happened? Okay. How did I get so old so fast? Um, and, and what I'm really getting at with this in terms of, you know, some of the things that men have lost over time, um, they're over-indexing, you know, the over-indexing trap, they're over-indexing at work. You know, what do you mean by over-indexing? They, they're so prioritized, they're so focused and fixated on the definition of success, the career trajectory, work overworking, overstressed, over anxiety, the okay. first one's in, the but, last one's out. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but before yeah. we even get to that, so what you, what you were saying before, so is it really, is it a number where midlife crisis or middle age comes in, or is it a feeling? How does somebody know? If they're going through a midlife crisis, what are the warnings? And are all midlife crises? I know these are a lot of questions. And are are all midlife crises? I don't know how to say a crisis or or multiple crises. Are they you know always you know bad? They're all great. They're all great questions. No, I don't think they're all bad. Um, and I don't think we need to even define it as a as a crisis. I think we can see it through a different lens that midlife is instead of the beginning of the end or this crisis time, it's the beginning of what should be the next and best phase of our life. It should be this opportunity to look at the experiences that we've had, the successes, the failures, uh, the trials, tribulations, everything that we go through and say, how do I apply that to take this next stage of my life to the next level. How can I optimize? How can I maximize? Where am I satisfied, dissatisfied? Where have I gotten maybe complacent, stuck? Where am I doing really well? Am I showing up for my family? Am I showing up for my kids or my partner? Am I spending too much time at the office? Am I going to die at my desk? A lot of questions right back to you and say, okay, right. is this actually a crisis? Is this an opportunity? Mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I'm sorry. I have so many questions. When I think of midlife crisis, I think of men who suddenly get the shiny red sports car Mm -hmm. or who start dressing differently. And, you know, they buy that leather jacket, like they think it's going to make them look 30 years younger Mm -hmm. or the motorcycle. So that's what we think about. They start flirting with other women, maybe, you know, not necessarily cheating on their wife or girlfriend, but, you know, just doing things that, you know, are, I guess, common for what people assume midlife crisis is for a man. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the questions there is why, you know, why is the yellow sports car, red sports car going to solve what's really going on? You know, are you looking and seeking validation elsewhere, whether that's that other woman or, or guy looking at you? Are you again, dissatisfied in your life or where you, where you're well, I'm asking you, I want to ask you why yep. I, I, I don't know why, but why do you think, because you have, I've listened to your podcast, mm-hmm. the midlife male, and you seem to, to, to have much more knowledge than me, but I want to know when, I mean, when am I going to go through it? I'm scared. I don't think I'm the type to go through it, but in any case, you know, tell me what triggers a man what what triggers a man to go through midlife i think it's a feeling Mm -hmm. and the guys that i work with that come to me at very uh, different stages some are quite frankly in their late 30s and they're seeing 40s and and they're scared of it Mm -hmm. there are guys in their 40s that are right smack in the throes of it Mm -hmm. and it's a feeling that they have that i don't have the the energy that i used to have i I woke up one morning and 15 years have gone by and I've been at this job and I've been in this relationship and from the outside looking in, things seem great. And I really don't have a lot to complain about, but something feels off and I'm looking for something to fill that void. And they grasp with things in there. And then I've got guys that have come out of it in a way that are in their fifties and they're saying, you know what, Greg, out of your six F's, you know, family and fitness and finance and food and fashion and fun. Like I got finance kind of taken care of, but the other are, are, are totally out of whack. I don't like the way I look. I'm not in the best shape. Um, I'm not showing up well for my family. These are feelings. And we start to go back and dive into it and say, okay, are things going to resolve this for you? Or should we be prioritizing experiences over things? Or if you're looking to invest in things, what type of experience do you hope to get from them to really get to the root cause of, are you happy? Are you feeling good? Do you have energy? Is this physical, mental, emotional, financial? You know, what's really going on here? And it's different for everybody. So I can't give you one single answer. And there enough time that it's going to happen. I think it's different for everyone. And it's based a lot on the lens that you see life through and the experience this- that you have. Okay, so this is what I've noticed with a a couple of people that I've known, not necessarily friends, but acquaintances. What happens is they are, and we're going to get back to the six F's because I have that here because I think those are really important for people to take away with them, the six F's that you talk about. But what I find for a lot of people is that when you're in a relationship for so long and, you know, let's face it, um, things get a little stale. The sex is not as great as it used to be. You take each other for granted. I mean, you know, you can have a spouse that's more beautiful than, you know, most people, but yet still you might want to, you know, get to know somebody else better because of the thrill. You might want to flirt with somebody, maybe, you know, have indiscretions or do something with somebody else that's not nearly as attractive as your spouse because it's something new and it's a new feeling. Mm -hmm. I find that is the main thing I think that I'm getting from, I guess, living in New York City and having these friends. I mean, what do you say to that? 
I think it's certainly one element. We all want to be wanted. It's great to be wanted. We don't get the same reaction. At least I don't get the same reaction walking into my house okay? <laughs> 25 years later. Okay. <laughs> we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. We've been together for 20, for 25 years total. I don't get some great reaction every time I walk into my house, you know, from my wife. It's nice. And the kids are older. Yeah, the kids are older. Nobody comes downstairs and says hello. To, it doesn't matter like anymore. Mm-hmm. And and you've got to appreciate that to an extent also because there is something really great about that comfort, that security, you know, that that transitional aspect in life. But to your point, it, it you want to feel wanted. You want to feel needed. You want to feel that people are, somebody's attracted to you. So whether that's that look, whether that's that glance, whether you're going to act on that, you know, or not, it's a nice feeling whether you go to the gym, you know, and, and you get a look, you know, from, from somebody, it's a nice feeling if you're out and you're walking around and you get, you know, that vibe, that feeling instead, all of these things come back to kind of feelings and emotions. What triggers it? Did I, did that feel good? Do I like that? Do I want more of that? Should I be getting more of that at home or should I be looking elsewhere for that? Or what may again might be going on? And at the same time, maybe it's totally harmless also. I mean, look, I love health and fitness. We can get it, we can get into all that. Why do I spend my time outdoors and in gyms or on beaches, or whatever? I like to look at beautiful things. I want beautiful things. Look at it. Look at me. It feels good. I gotta tell you, I saw your Instagram and your body is is pretty ripped. So, I mean, and I, and I, and I understand, and I want the audience to know that you haven't had it easy, which where I also want to get to, and I'm going to ask you the question, what triggered it for you? How did you come up with the midlife male? What triggered it for you? Do you want to tell, I mean, I know, but I want you to, you to say it. Sure. First, first and foremost, um, when I talk about the lens that you see things through, my dad died when he was 47 years old. So I was 17, almost 18, heading off to college. And my dad had passed away. My best friend had passed away. The mentor that I had, I have two younger brothers. And, and 47 seemed really old at the time. I mean, when you're 17 or 18, you know, your parents seem old. Your grandparents seem really old. You know, anybody that's not, you know, rocking and rolling in their teens and 20s seems old at the time. Um, and that was gone. So I always had this perspective that if I made it to 47 or beyond, like that was bonus time. Like I wasn't going to squander those years ahead, that it could be gone at any moment. You could have that heart attack, you know, or you could unfortunately suffer for years with cancer like my father did. It had no quality of life. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how great your family is. If you don't have your health, you really don't have anything to go on. Mm-hmm. That's, that's in there. So for me, I always looked ahead to those years. How can I maximize the years up to that? But then when I get there, how can I platform off of that and really, really go from there? Right. Like, but there was a lot more than that. I mean, you took your punches. I know okay. your history. You took your punches. Uh, your brother was incarcerated. He went to jail. Yep. I mean, how old were you when your brother went to jail? How did that affect you? And what did he go to jail for, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. He was very, very good at what he did. Unfortunately, what he did was very illegal. You know? um, <laughs> and when you talk about addiction and you talk about pills and you talk about dealing, um, you know, you can get in some trouble for that, for sure. You know, one thing I'm super, super proud of him about and, and that our relationship is as strong as it's ever been or stronger than ever is, you know, look, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. 
Um, and he owned it and he did the time and he's come out a better person for it. He's, he's a father, he's successful and, and I love him, love him to death. And we all went through trauma. We all took our punches. We all react to it differently um, made different choices in life. And he made his, I've made some of mine, none of them, a lot of them not perfect. And he's turned it around. So and how did that affect you when you did, was, was there any kind of, you know, did it infringe in your life in any way? The fact that your brother was in jail, did people look at you different? Was it? Of course. I think I probably took it more personally in that regard than maybe others were, were looking at me. The fact of the matter is we share the same last name. And in honoring and in honoring our family name and the memory of our father, we we had issues over that. And you also had, didn't you also go through an addiction? I was a really heavy drinker. I have that personality, um, that type A, that addictive personality. Um, And I was a really heavy drinker. And it wasn't a great. didn't have a great attitude, didn't have great behavior, you know, around it. I was a heavy drinker. I smoked a lot for a while. I dabbled in a bunch of drugs. I was not living a healthy lifestyle at all. I was living that I'm bulletproof. My shit doesn't stink. Um, and I didn't do a really good job of controlling it. And I didn't do a really good job of conducting or carrying myself. So there's that period of time called twenties, even, you know, even into my early thirties, um, where, a lot of behavior I wasn't proud of. You talk about it and you've spoken about uh, your brother, your dad, you've spoken about um, your weight struggles with weight, with alcohol, even with hair loss and your body image you've mm-hmm. spoken about, which to me is very interesting because looking at you now, you could be on the cover of um, a fitness magazine. So you're, you're very kind uh, to that effect. I mean, look, I have insecurities like everybody else. And I think sometimes you look at people that that maybe train a lot, you know, or seem to care in a way or prioritize their appearance and how they look. Um, you know, and in my case, none of it is trying to cover up a lot of my insecurities. Mm-hmm. We all have things that we're unhappy about. Mm-hmm. Not um, me. I'm happy about everything. <laughs> you said you were I'm miserable. not insecure at all. No, you said you were miserable. Now you're happy about I changed that. my mind. <laughs> yeah, you have the right. We all reserve the right to change our mind right. at any time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, look, I don't mind being bald. I mind being fat and bald. You know? You know, I met a guy this summer. And uh, it was by the uh, it was by the boardwalk. We were in New Jersey. We have a house there, and you know he was a really small guy. You know, really, really small. He maybe was maybe five four or five five. I don't know. He was really, really into running. He looked good. He had a baseball cap on. And his wife was telling me that he's so active, and he, I think he was about your age, about our age, uh, in his you know if, if, uh, like in his late forties, if I remember correctly. And, you know, his wife was overweight and she says she barely gets to see him. All he does is exercise. And he looked at me. He goes, listen, I can't be old, short, bald and fat. He took off his baseball hat and he was bald. So when he said that, I when after we finished talking to them, I looked at Brad and I said, oh, my God, that really says a lot. Mm-hmm. I can't be old because that you're going to be regardless. He can't control the, the balding, old, bald, fat. And what was the other thing? Oh, I can't be old. Bald. Can't make himself taller either. And, and yeah, and short, right? And I can't. I mean, so it really, you know, makes you wonder. Control the things that you can control, which is actually what you did. You took control, and I'm assuming that's how the whole midlife thing started for you. Is going through all these struggles and figuring out a way to turn your life around. 
It's exactly that. I think you you nailed it. I do really believe in controlling what you can control. And for a period of time also, I was more dependent on other people's validation. I was looking for for things that were out of my control. I was waiting for people to be hired. You know, I was waiting to be fired. I was waiting to be validated. I was reaching for all, as opposed to controlling what I can control in my daily activities. Mm -hmm. Could I control my health to the best of my ability? Yes, I could still get hit by a bus tomorrow, okay? But could I control what I put in my body? Can I control that I exercise? Could I better control my finances? Could I better take care of my family? Could I actually go after the types of clients and do the types of business that filled my tank rather than empty it? And I was in insurance and risk management for years. It was the only professional service business I was in. And it could be galactically boring in a a lot of- It sounds that I took a nap while you were saying it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And it was one of those things when I I got into it and invested in this firm, people were like, what the fuck are you doing with what you've done before and where you're, no, we're gonna gonna make this interesting. And I'm gonna try to make this interesting. And the way that I viewed that was, again, could I control what I was gonna control? The way that I dressed- the way that I carried myself, the types of clients that I went after. I said, look, I li- what do I like to do? I like to eat, I like to drink, and I like to work out. Great. Every- sounds wonderful. Every one of those people in businesses need insurance also. Let me go after those people, you know, instead of trying to, to sell a policy to a ball bearing company that I couldn't give two shits about and chase premium. How do you connect personal passion with professional expertise? And that became, you know, one of my kind of, mantras. And then guys started calling me. Wait a minute. Well, because you are hypnotizing, I will say, when I when I came across you, when I was introduced to you, Greg, and I started going through your Instagrams, you know, I was just going through them quickly, but I couldn't help but listen to every single thing, you know, every um, story and every video I had to listen because it was kind of hypnotizing because you do touch on a lot of the things that we just spoke about that men do go through. You know, you take for granted, I think, when you're younger that, you know, you're cute. You know, most men think they're cute, even if they're not when they're younger. You know, they even think they're cute when they're older, when they're not. But then there comes a point, I guess, in your life when you're thinking, you know, uh, the doctor's telling me I have to lose weight, business, I'm getting beat up in business, you know, and they just feel like they're taking a beating in life. And I think that's where sometimes people can go the wrong way when it comes to when when I say a midlife crisis, that's when I did it too. What happens, uh, you know, what happens, as you said, when you grow up and everything comes easy to you, you know, we grew up wealthy, we grew up in a, in a great town on the North shore of Long Island. It wasn't, are you getting a car when you're, you get your license? It was what BMW are you getting? You know, it was. I always say, Greg, we grew up charmed. Our generation really, whether you, whether you were rich or not really didn't play such a big role because I found that my very wealthy friends lived very similar to me. You know, maybe when they bought a car, their parents bought them a car, they bought them a Porsche, you know, okay. So I bought my own car, but we all had stuff, but we lived very similar. Our homes were similar. It's very different than today. But yeah, I like to say that we did have our generation had a very charmed life. It's much harder today. It is. And and I felt like there was almost nowhere to go but down. And that's a really hard spot to start, you know, when you're when you don't have a lot of self-confidence. Um, when you have experienced loss, you know, like I did, when I was questioning a lot of things, and you come from this place where you feel like you only have, you know nowhere to go in again, but down, like you're expected to be successful. You're expected to have money. You've, you've been given all these, these gifts and these privileges. And yes, something, you know, of, 
of magnitude has been taken away from you and now you feel like you're on your own that's that's scary and then you as you said, you start getting a little bit older. You don't look as good as you did before. All your hair starts falling out. You're going to work. Things stop coming super easy to you. Mm-hmm. And, and you realize life is really hard. And people are not out there, you know, waking up in the morning and thinking about Greg Scheinman and going to bed at night thinking about Greg Scheinman. They're thinking about themselves. Well, how do you know, unless they're looking at your Instagram photos without the shirt on, maybe they you never know. Well, if they, well, if they are, they're not reaching out to help me. I can tell you that. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for you. Yes. And, and you've got to own that, you know, and you've got to accept responsibility and you've got to turn it back on yourself and say, again, what can I control? I'm not owed anything. If my behavior sucks, I got to change my behavior. If I'm not earning what I want to earn, I got to fix this, the situation. If I'm working for a company I don't want to work for, that's up to me. The system, I'm not going to change that system. Either work within the system or get the fuck out of the system. You know? Accountability, transparency, vulnerability. All this started with Midlife Mail when I just started talking about it. I just stopped caring what everybody else thinks. And by the way, I still care. I, I, that's not a great thing. I still care very, very much, but I've put it in the rear view mirror. Amen. I feel the same as you. I still care in the back of my mind. I care, but yes, I try to not focus. I'm a pleaser. I want everybody to like me. Uh, I have a very hard time saying no, all of these things, but I'm p- trying to put it all in the rear view mirror and say, you know what? I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. And if the people within the four walls of my house actually really love me and really know me and they're behind what I'm doing, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So how did you grow up? How many siblings? Did you have only one brother? Now I've got two younger brothers. Um, my brother Sandy's in the middle. He still lives in New York. Yeah. And my younger brother, Jared, who lives in Austin, Texas now. Okay. So you're one of three and you live in Texas. I live in Houston. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. Um, you know, we felt at least for me, my wife is born and raised in Houston. Um, I wanted to leave New York. New York doesn't have the best memories or history for me. Um, and I felt like getting separation from New York would be a good thing. And I was really fortunate that I, that I met my wife and she was born and raised in Houston. We spent some time in Miami for a little while while we were dating and and engaged. And ultimately we chose to settle in Houston, which has now been 20, 20 years. Um, and for me, it was a, it was a real blessing. I was, it was a blessing because, you know, I'm seeing what's going on now in New York without leaders. And I don't have to tell, you no people are running to Texas just for their freedom. I mean, I don't want to get into that on this, on the show. It's not about that, but you know, just, I'm sure, you know, the problem is a lot of people are running from California to Texas and bringing their ideology with them. That doesn't flow with the Texans there. No doubt for me. And when none of us could see this coming, you go back, you know, 20, 20 something years, I was looking for an opportunity to, to reinvent myself. I was looking for an opportunity to be somewhere where I didn't feel like I only had, you know, down to go, or I was expected to be here. Look, let's say I was popular in high school. You know, I was successful in college. I came at their expectations and their pressures. And I have two boys right now. And I'm like, don't be the popular, cool, super, like what, like, why? It's a lot of pressure. And, and life is a marathon, not a sprint. 
you know? And if you're the cool, good looking, expected to be this guy in high school and in college, and then you kind of, what if you're not, you know, or the apple? And what happens when it fades? So here's an example that I give. And tell me if you're familiar with this. These guys who I know are so studly and good looking and everyone loves them. All the girls love them. They're great catches, tall, good looking, thick head of hair. They get married at 22, 24. People that I know get married young. And suddenly, you know, eight years later before they're, you know, in their early thirties, they're already bald. They're way overweight. And what happens is they're looking for the attention that they used to get when they were younger. So what do they do? They go out and they flirt with the maitre d', they flirt, you know, the, the woman at the table, the waitress, they in front, in front of their wives. I mean, in front of their girlfriends or wives, they just want to get the attention, I think, and recapture that. And I think that's what you're saying when you say it's better to not be popular because it's very hard when you lose it and people don't look at you anymore. Look, there's nothing wrong, I think, with being popular, with being liked, with being a good person, as long as you are, again, authentic, you know, right. and, and it's for the right reasons. Well, Not for the sake of just being good looking or for the sake of just being wealthy, because that takes on a whole different meaning. Yeah, look, you got to have substance with the style. I'm fine with the style. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the substance behind it, I mean, it's empty. That's, that's there. And again, with, with my boys in particular, uh, look again, I tell them guys, it's a marathon. It, it's not a sprint go, you know, run your own race, mm -hmm. find people that you're most comfortable with live your own life, play the sports you want to play, mm -hmm. go to the events you want to go to be, you know, and just it's a very similar mantra that I have. I always say, and I tell my kids, this, they're only seven and a half, is keep your eyes on your own paper. Keep mm -hmm. your eyes on your own paper. It doesn't matter what your friends do. It doesn't matter what they get. Just keep your eyes on your own paper. Absolutely. And because because you're right. I mean, you don't want to peak too soon. You know? Okay. Yep. You are trying to chase total life wellness is one of the things I say. I want you to be happy. I want you to be content. I want you to find the right community. I want you to try things and fail and succeed and, and embrace curiosity. Do the, don't worry about the optics, you know, what other people think or whether this is the popular decision or the place to go or whatever. The optics... Fuck the optics and only because it's not going to matter, you know, a year from now, two years from now, one, my son, you're going to graduate next year and go off to college. You're going to get the chance to hit the reset button. You're going to graduate from college. You're going to get a chance to hit it again. Like just do your thing. And but it's great to give the advice to your boys who are in their, their teenagers. I can't imagine men, grown men reaching out to you. And I know they do because I've seen your Instagram, but a lot of men don't want to reach out and think that they even have a problem or talk about it. Men don't want to talk about their feelings. Mm -hmm. Do wives, do the women ever contact you and say, listen, you know, my husband is going through something or I think he's going through something. They're great. Great questions. I'll, I'll hit both. One, the number of men that you see even interacting with me, whether it's social media, um, LinkedIn, or whatever platforms it's on, is a fraction. It is a tiny fraction of the number of men that reach out privately. Privately, of course. Exactly what you just said. We do not want to appear vulnerable. We do not want to appear like we have issues. I mean, we certainly don't want to do it in public and raise our hand at the conference, you know, or come out and shed a tear or do, do any of those things. We're guarded like that because that's a, maybe it's a man, you know, thing. And as much as we're trying to get more in touch with mental health and awareness and, and do all this, we're still afraid. A lot of us are afraid to do it. 
myself included in a lot of in a lot of forums. It's scary to come out and do it. So what do we do? We send the DM. We send the text. We send the email. We set up the free, you know, fifteen minute call. Then, the, but the price. So wait, how does it work? So you will have a free fifteen minute call with someone, and if they want to continue with coaching, can they do that? Absolutely, yes. Um, no, look, I've been really fortunate at this stage of my life, later on in life, to have had some amazing conversations with amazing men who have been generous and gracious to give me their time. Guys that have come on the podcast, guys that have taken a call with me, you know, over the years when they didn't have to. Nothing to gain. I had nothing to offer them, basically, of value in exchange. Um, you know, and I kind of found like, I'm going to pay that forward, you know, overall. So when I got into this and people were reaching out and I was developing a coaching program and really seeing if, do I, who the fuck am I to coach, you know, out there? Do I have the stones for this? Can I do it? Can I write a program? Can I, oh, I'm no different than anybody else, you know, that's, that's out there. Um, I said, look, anybody that wants to talk to me can get access to my calendar, set up a call, and we'll see if we're a good fit for one another. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. Maybe you can't afford it, you know? Maybe you can, maybe I can steer you in the right direction, whatever it may be. But they can get free advice from you even through your newsletter, your weekly newsletter that you do. And even following you on Instagram, they can get advice. I mean, I did, I got advice, not that I need it. I mean, I do pretty much everything perfect. So I really don't need any advice. But so I want to get back to, you said something very early in, in on the show that you have the philosophy of the six F's. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if fucking is one of them, but I know it's not actually, I'm kidding. That's a joke, but talk about the six F's. By the way, Fucking in philanthropy that we stuck an F on were call it seven and seven and eight. Okay. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and if you combine actually okay. two, two things that seem like polar opposites, philanthropy and fucking, okay, they're they're in the but game. I don't think philanthropy is spelled with an F, is it? And I'm terrible at spelling, but let's pretend it does. We stole that one. Okay. It's okay. okay. We're gonna we're gonna do it that way and and, and give a little back. Um <laughs> it's, it's coming yeah. out, it's like, look, it's Sex is important. It it absolutely is in in there. But okay, wait. So pause. So men that are not getting sex from their partners, their wives, partners, whatever, that is a big problem and a big issue for I know a lot of married people because after twenty years, it's hard to keep things fresh. It's hard to keep things new. Mm-hmm. Tell me, that's got to be one of the biggest things you hear from men. It, it definitely is. And again, like everything else, it's different for all, all men. There are some that want a lot more. Some that are like, they're, they're fine with it. There are other aspects of, of the relationship. On, in, in certain instances, it's the man you know, that, that wants less. In other instances, it's the man that wants a lot more. And Correct. Compromises in relationships and everything that you go through. Also, my, I'm 49, my wife's 52. Mm-hmm. Oh, are- wow. Your wife is 52. No offense. She looks younger than you. You look good, but your wife is... Yeah, she looks amazing. Look, beautiful. I hit genetic lottery. Like, fantastic. And you don't know this when you get married either, but you can kind of look ahead. But all these stages, you, know, you don't know what your wife is going to look like, you know, 10, 20 years from now. You don't know what she's going to look like after she gives birth to two, to two children. You don't know what kind of mother really she's going to be, what kind of partner she's going to be when you're in your 30s and 40s. And f- these stages keep changing. I mean, the, you know, the sex you had in your 20s is absolutely going to be different than in your 40s and your 50s. And we got two kids. 
kids sleeping upstairs and we got schedules and lives. So it's a big deal. You know, so I want to reverse now the narrative for a second. So I, do you ever get calls from women saying my husband hasn't touched me in a year? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've heard it in my shop. I've heard it from women in my shop. My husband doesn't touch me. We haven't had sex. And it really bothers me and it concerns me. It'll answer this. The first part of the question is, do women reach out? And, and yes, they do. For two reasons that, that I've noticed. The majority of the calls are for two reasons. One, would you be willing to work with my husband? I think my husband, you know, could use some help. He's not, you know, he's not operating, you know, at, at his best. He's not the same, the same guy. You know? And I always say to that, mm-hmm, unless your husband is 100% bought into this, this is not going to work. So I'm willing to talk to your husband. We can talk together, but no, you can't have this call with me and then go tell your husband, I'm hiring this guy for you because it's just, it's, it's not going to work. And the second is women wanting advice in several areas. One, like you just talked about, Mm -hmm. they may be sexual issues. They may be, my husband just doesn't dress well, or can you recommend a trainer or a nutritionist or this again, looking, but if your husband again is not totally bought in, he doesn't want to hear that from you. Mm-hmm. Totally. And if like you're getting laid, and, I, and my attitude is, if you're getting laid, just shut the fuck up and let him dress the way he wants. If you're, that's if my that's attitude. I'm like, you know, it makes you happy. I don't know a whole lot of sexually satisfied people that are unhappy. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I well, it seems like you know, if again, if you're getting laid and you're attracted, and the, your partner's attracted to you, and you're having, and you're having the sex life that you want to, generally, you're probably not depressed. You know? Yeah, and you're, you're not, not complaining happy. about his khakis. You're not complaining about about a lot yeah. of things. Okay, right. so you pretty much stay in your lane on that and keep it to yourself because a lot of people have problems, you know, with that, and you don't want to be be that person, be that person either. But one of the things also, and 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 this was. Look, we change physically too, you know, as guys, our sex drive changes, our energy changes. We've got a lot of stress and anxiety. A lot of the guys I'm dealing with, look, they're not only they're the patriarch of the family, they're the breadwinner in the family, you know, they're the husband, they're the father, they're at the higher end of the of the org chart, you know, at work. So again, who are they talking to? They don't really have anybody to talk to. They don't want to go, you know, venting to the to the subordinates or people below them or show weakness or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. We're balancing or trying to balance all these things, and that saps energy. Mm-hmm. And it's and you walk into your house, and the kid in the house might be a mess. You know, it's been a long day. The kids are complaining. The wife's got something going on. You got two sports games to go to. You just don't feel like fucking. Like an initiate. Like it takes energy to initiate, and then and by the way, it takes that. And then when you initiate and you want, and then you get rejected because it's not the right time. And and then this happens over and over again, and it gets into a pattern. It's like you know what? It's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like where are we going for dinner? Like wherever you want. Mm-hmm. I how do you break? Want, but how do you? We still didn't. Okay. <laughs> So how do you break the pattern or, or how, how did you break the pattern if you went through it? How does somebody yeah, break I mean, the pattern? Look, and, and we did. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, it takes compromise. And it oh, takes, you have to plow through it. You have to what? You have to literally plow through it, get a bottle of wine and plow through it and say, I don't want to do this shit, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is homework. One, you can't stop dating your wife or your significant other. You, I mean, you got to continue to date your wife. You've got to prioritize and emphasize the relationship. You know, for years, we didn't take trips, just the two of us, you know, because of the kids. We don't going out as much on our own. You 
really, you know, got to circle back and go, hey, you know, what got me into this relationship in the first place? You know, right. We should be evolving as a couple. We should continue to date. We're changing as people. We should be exploring those situations. By the way, nighttime is a horrible time for us to have sex in my house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We both like to get to bed early. Our kids stay up late. It's not the biggest house in the world. You know, everything is a compromise. So guess what? I'm okay with getting late in the morning. Okay. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter to me whether it's morning, afternoon, <laughs> wherever. All right, you make it work. If it's this, uh, if it's this quality and quantity, okay, that fits within you know, our satisfaction level, that's fine. No more, no, no more, no less. You know, in there too. Could be. But great. you have to find it. You got to work at it. You have to find it. You absolutely had to communicate, and you absolutely have to work at it. And we live off the calendar, also. You know, that's another thing I do, and work with guys on is. You know, Sign on the calendar doesn't exist for us. I mean, it may sound ridiculous, but hey, we schedule workouts, we schedule dinner, we schedule when we've got free time, which we may be able to bang. Terrific. Like it all goes on the calendar. We may use a code. So you're saying like even appointment sex? Absolutely. Okay. So put appointment sex on the calendar. Schedule the things you want to do first and then back into the things that you have to do. The trip you want to take, the event that you want to participate in, the milestone you want to celebrate, the vacation you want to take, the things you schedule all your personal shit first. Okay. And you're saying if you put it in the calendar, it's more likely for those things to happen, to come to fruition. You're on my calendar. That's why we're on this call right now. (laughs) I love your examples, but come on, honestly, I mean, if you're going to sit and put all the stuff that you want to do, you know, not everyone has the luxury to either travel or have the money to travel or to do the things. I think it's great to put it on the calendar as something to aspire to, but how realistic is it for people to achieve goals when you're in a slump? Amazing question. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best ways to work your way out of a slump. Mm -hmm. And it's not about money. Mm -hmm. Money helps. Trust me, it helps. Very much so. If you're a genuinely happy person and you've got money, you can also afford to have great experiences and be happier. I don't believe money buys happiness. I do not. I know a lot of miserable people with a ton of money who are sitting in beautiful places and they're on beautiful yachts and they hate themselves. They hate their life. Man, everyone else was out there. I agree. And I agree. Very, very unfortunate. Sometimes a lot of money is wasted on a lot of very unhappy people. And I wish other ha- happy people had it also. I don't think it's about money and it's not about putting these grand things on the calendar there too. It can be as simple mm-hmm, as having lunch with your son. It can be as simple as getting up and taking a walk every day. That's health and that's fitness. This isn't about being ripped or being jacked or winning some marathon thing. You can get up and take a walk every day and you need to put that on your calendar. You can take one minute a day. I was doing a speech um, for for a company and and the theme really was time well spent. And it was all about a minute. They were giving these, these minute, you know, they're like hourglasses and but they were a minute. And they're asking people to take one minute a day to do something meaningful and impactful. And you get compound interest from that. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Could you send a nice message to somebody in one minute a day? And what does that do for you also? Could you do a minute's worth of push-ups every day? And what happens if you do that every day for the entire year? What that does to your shape? Can you call your mom out there? Can you make that one new business call? You know, how do you use your time? And if you put it on your calendar, on a schedule where it's quantifiable, you can't miss it. 
You have all this technology out there too. Make it beep on your phone. Use Evernote or you know what? Just use a pen and a paper. Go old school on this. But Greg, this is such great advice. All the examples that you just gave are so great. One minute of push-ups a day. Call your mom. It doesn't have to be, or your dad, or somebody in your family. It doesn't have to be a 15-minute conversation. It's just checking in, just checking in with people, sending a nice text. Everything you're saying is so productive and it could make the person doing it feel so much better. I I, I could not agree more. And I was the non-believer. Mm-hmm. Why were you the non-believer? I was the guy that thought he had all the answers, didn't need any help, was going to go at it alone, okay? All of those, all the stereotypes and all the cliches, man, they're true. They're all true. But when you lean in, you get to that tipping point where you start to realize, guess what? What I'm doing ain't working. So here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start doing the opposite. If my natural instinct, okay, is to lash out and respond to that email immediately after I get it, uh-uh, mm-hmm. not anymore, okay? I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to invoke the 24-hour rule. I am not going to look at that email for 24 hours, or I'm going to write the response, and I'm going to sit on it, you know, overall. Mm-hmm. If I was sleeping in, I'm getting up earlier, you know, right now. If I was staying out late, I'm going to bed a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. What are the most common, Greg, what are the most common things that people go through in midlife? I know that certain idiosyncrasies get more enhanced, I think, as men go through midlife, whether it's anxiety, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's like you said, sleeping late, whether it's alcohol, it could be anything. What are the most common things that men go through midlife? The most, the number one most common is they start to question everything. They start to question their choices. Is this where I thought I was going to be at this day? How Greg, you-, you said it perfectly. I wake up every morning. I look at Brad. I go, what am I going to do with my life? And, and I have a business and I'm still doing it. I have a beautiful family. And I still say, I, and I talk to myself. I almost once Googled at my office, what am I going to do with my life? Thinking I was going to get an answer. So you're absolutely right. That's the number one thing. Why, why, why are we questioning everything? Why am I questioning everything? But really, what am I going to do with my life? Now I'm asking you. (laughs) Anything you want. I can't do anything I want. And that's, you know, that's really the beauty in it that you really, in a way you can. But I also think one of the reasons we question everything and one of the reasons we push this, what am I going to do with my life? And I'm going to, it's because this, something is driving us to do more. We think we need to keep doing more. Mm -hmm. We got to layer it on. We got to add it on. We need to fill, again, every space in our calendar. And and I would offer for consideration, again, the opposite. What about doing less with more focus? I like that. I like doing less. (laughs) I like doing less and drinking more. There you go. Brad wants you to do less. Crack the gin behind you. (laughs) He doesn't. Brad knows it. Brad's probably thinking, how much less could you do? (laughs) Brad's probably thinking, how much less could you do? But you did bring up a great point that I love is that the bigger question is why are we questioning at this age and this stage of my life? What am I going to do with my life? That's something people say usually in their 20s and 30s, but yet I was so laser focused. You know, I dropped out of high school. My dad also died very young. He was 47 as well. So I, you know, I'm very familiar. I, you know, celebrated when I kind of like succeeded his age. But the point is, is that I never thought about what am I going to do with my life? I did it. And now with two kids at my stage, I'm constantly questioning. And the bigger question is, why am I questioning it? 
Mm-hmm. Am I looking to make myself miserable? I think it's a great question. I think you're actually looking to make yourself happy. I think what we're seeking is we want to be happier. We want to be more fulfilled. We want to, whatever that means, maybe I want to achieve more. I still have more things that I want that I want to do. And I think the question is different at this stage in life because we've been exposed to so much more. I think we see other possibilities. We see other options. We see how other guys have navigated their own lives. And we may look over there and go, oh, that looks interesting. Or that's a train wreck. You know, I don't want to go there. But now we have options again and possibilities. And maybe that's because we have financial resources. Or maybe that's because our kids have gotten a little older. Or maybe that's because our relationship is in a certain place. Or certain things have happened. You go, I can do this. Or I want more. Or maybe I should make a change. Or if I don't do it now, is it too late? You know? It's never going to happen if I don't. Can I get my family on board? Can I afford to do this? I know I ask a lot of questions about, but these are the things that come back, come out. And I get the why. I get the why. What we really need to be spending a lot more time talking about is the how. I get why you want to do more. I get why you want to quit your job. I get why you want to do this. Let's talk about the how. How I like that. I, I like that. I think that is a good way because if I can, so I can, cause I can ask myself a million times and ask Brad, what am I going to do with my life every day? That's ridiculous at this point. It's like, how, how am I going to make any, if, if I'm going to make any changes, how am I going to do it? And that's the question I should start asking myself every day. Do you find that, that coronavirus was uh, made things worse for men in their midlife? I think it I think it did. That's why I'm asking. I think it really, I think it was really bad. Well, I'm curious. I'm gonna ask you back. I'm gonna answer your question first because that's what you want, but then I'm curious to know why you think it's okay. why you think why you think it better. Um while I would not wish a global pandemic on on anyone, you know, or us or 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 for us to have to go through this and certainly go through this again, there are a lot of positives. Um, and there are a lot of positives that I have seen come out of this experience in the last couple of years. You know, when you strip away everything, mm-hmm, you get a chance again, hit that reason. You get, you have a choice of what and who you want to bring back. Mm-hmm. And during this time period, there was all of these things that were stripped back away. These meetings, mm-hmm, these events, these social things, these people, this social, it was all stripped away. And you now had that uh, excuse or that reason or that validation to say, I'm not going to that. Of course, you're not going to it because it doesn't exist anymore. You don't have to, you know, anymore. Mm -hmm. I now am not commuting every day, you know, an hour or two hours each way. There were so many possibilities that were presented. And again, you could look at it as, as you know, negative. I'm stuck at home and I can't do that. Or again, you can look at things as opportunities and say, now I can walk every day. Now I don't have to put my kids in daycare. Mm -hmm. Now I can be home with them. Now I can do the laundry in between mm -hmm, my client calls. There are ways, again, to adapt and to pivot. And for men in particular, uh, I think it gave a lot of us time to breathe. And it it gave a lot of us an opportunity to maybe rethink this hustle and grind mm -hmm, and high stress and anxiety and also to look at can end in a moment, mm-hmm. can stop on a dime. What really matters? Mm-hmm. 
So you're looking at it from a very optimistic point of view, which is great. Those are great points. Listen, during the lockdown, I was thrilled. I closed my shops in the city. I was with the family. We stayed by the beach. I ran down the boardwalk every day. I started a podcast. I mean, all this happened during the lockdown. You know, listen, I, I wanted to kill myself sometimes from the kids. I mean, being homeschooled every day. But other than that, I mean, it was great for me, but it was the repercussions of coming back. Mm -hmm. You suddenly come back from it all. And the factories that I've done business with are now all closed. Factories that were handed down from generation to generation in Spain, Italy, no longer exist, couldn't get shoes. There's this uncertainty that looms over, I guess, not for everyone, but somebody like me, the uncertainty just looms over. And again, I'm going to say, you know, being in New York City, you know, watching crime go up, watching our leaders destroy our city is just, you know, it's easy for you to say you're in Texas. I don't know if you're going through a week. Do you still have the mask mandate there in Texas? It's definitely different here. Um, there really isn't a mask mandate. Places kind of do do what they want. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Of course. Yeah. Um, here, if they have the attitude here, I mean, I went to my kid's school yesterday to watch him, you know, have a ceremony. And, you know, they made it sound like if your mask slides, you're you're going to die. Don't kill anyone in this room. I mean, this is what it's like. It's, it's, it's crazy. I'm watching my kids on stage. I have no idea what they're saying. They have a mask on. You know, I'm trying to hear and I can't even hear through the muffle. People talk to me. Greg. I go to place my order. I order lunch. Everyone likes to have a conversation. I don't hear a fucking thing. I got to go to an ear doctor. I don't know if it's because of the mask, but I have no interest in conversations with masks on. And I'm a conversationalist. I I, I empathize and sympathize with that too. Um, I'm not a fan. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I empathize and sympathize with those out there who... Mm, you know, look, are at higher risk. Mm -hmm. And those businesses that really have been really decimated and have no opportunity to come back. And there are a lot of people out there, again, a lot of guys that are not as fortunate as, as we are, that have not been able, they don't have the runway. Mm -hmm. um, they're not able to make that pivot you know, per se. Um, the lives and schedules and things that they were living, again, they're so ingrained to them that all it was, what, what do I do? I've heard this from a lot of guys too. I'll, sounds like you, I'm built for this. I was like, okay, I'm built for this. You know, I love being at home, love being around my family. We built out the gym in the garage, okay? My dogs are barking right now. I like to work from a different room and stand up and all the time. I don't like being in an office. It gave me the opportunity to write, to be creative, to do certain things. Yeah, but that's providing that they still have a business and they're still getting paid and they still have their insurance from the company. That's, that's what I'm saying. For a lot of people, a lot of it, not, you know, not possible, really not, not possible. Um, and at the same time, a lot of people's identities were ve are very wrapped up in their career and their business and the social and the networking and all the, and then you take all of that away and they're lost because that roadmap is gone. What they've been doing over and over again and have been successful at, it no longer exists. And right. maybe this doesn't work for them talking to customers and clients through a screen. Maybe they don't have a conducive environment at home, you know, to be able to work effectively. And, and it's very, very hard. I mean, introverts, extroverts, you know, social, non-social, um, whether you're in sales, whether you're in operations, everybody operates again differently. And what you thrive on and fills your tank um, 
is is different for all of us. So this was really hard for a lot of guys. And for other guys, I'm like, I got in the best shape of my life, you know, and I performed better and I was able to change directions in my business and do it. There's both, there's both sides here. So, okay. So I want to get back to your philosophy, your coaching philosophy of the six F's. When did you come up with that? And how did you come up with that? I mean, did you just sit home one day and make it up and just be like, oh, gee, I need a gimmick. I wish I had a better answer for you, but for the most part, yes. I just sat at home and I made it. <laughs> I love that. That's a great answer. Okay. I love the honesty. That's how all of this happened, Rich. I mean, I just started writing one Sunday morning. And started taking my coffee outside, sitting down and started writing. And I'm not even a writer. It was like the Jerry Maguire thing. It's like, you know, I wrote this, you know, mission statement and I'm not even a writer. I remember that. Guess what? Okay. I get it now. I just started writing. And then I realized that I don't have to actually be a writer to write. I can just talk. You can record this shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it'll translate, and it'll translate it for you, and it, write, and it writes itself. I go, okay. yeah, even a dummy like me can do this. Terrific! And then actually, you can get somebody that takes your crap and turns it into something that's actually pretty damn good. Also, so this all started on Sunday mornings with me just writing, um, and I started writing down things that were important to me, not things that I thought would be important to anybody else, but things that were important to me. Mm-hmm. and felt if they were important to me that you know maybe somebody else would be interested and it really didn't matter and for months it was a tree falling in the woods you know the newsletter the blog it was what is this guy doing you know if anybody even saw it mm-hmm. i don't even think i told anybody i was doing it for for months either you just put it put it out there and on that list over time you know was family was fitness which really is health, you know, overall health, which is finance, mm-hmm. which is money, you know, how much is enough? What do you need? What kind of life you want? And then it was food, which is really nutrition, you know, and, and we're big foodies and what you put in your body and eating out. And then it was fashion, which really is style and confidence to me. And finally- I love that you put that in because I've been in the fashion business my entire life. So I love that you did put that in because that's part of my motto, put your best foot forward in every way in your, you know, yeah. So it's great. Continue. It is a big deal. So really, you know, of fashion in terms of you know style and confidence and finding a look and how that really makes you also feel like a man that that stuff was important to me and fun which i which i really debated on for a while does that sound juvenile you know but no you realize is that most guys also like or at least me i wasn't having that much fun and most i'm missing one f I'm yes. missing one. I have the family, the food, the fit, the fashion, the fun. What am I missing? Uh, you missed the finance. Finance. Oh, of course. And it's I, always in that order for me. It's always boring. Why does finance always bore me? The minute I hear the word fiscal from my accountant, I doze off. I think about See, I'm with you there too. It's not something like, I don't love to talk about no. business and spreadsheets and numbers and so all that. Fucking I boring. just want to know like, here's what I need. Like, do yeah. I have enough? Like take care of that stuff for me. I don't think again, you know, I'm not chasing being some kind of billions titans or whatever like as long as i can do the things i want to do with the people that i love that that's what i need money for that's what right. it is okay so i want to go through the list family there is absolutely no doubt i think everybody would agree i think family is number one you know on everyone's list you know to make your family happy to keep you know the, the expression you're only as happy as your most miserable child <laughs> is, you know, I've learned that now that I have the two kids and when one goes off very unhappy, crying to school, I'm miserable that day. I'm, you know, so it's a great expression. Food, 
is Why that definition though. I mean, even to look, look, you got friends that are family, everybody's situation is different, but you know, what you hold as your family is, is number one. Right. Okay. I like that. And food also, it's very, very important and, you know, not to body shame or food shame anyone. I like my junk like anybody else, but tell me why food is so important. I think food is fuel. We're back into, we're back into nutrition. Nutrition. It's yes. nutrition. It's really nutrition. There's so many aspects to food and nutrition and, and, and health and, and enjoyment and, and social, you know, that really matter. My wife loves to cook. We spend a ton of time in the kitchen. The oh, meals got lucky. around the table with your family, you know, are, are special. We love to try new flavors, new restaurants. I love the hospitality business. Always have loved the hospitality business. Even when I was in insurance, tons of my clients were in hospitality. Again, I like to eat, drink, work out. Boom. So we're big, we're big foodies. And, and at the same time, I do not, you know, I'm going to want to get hit by a bus and say, I haven't had a cheeseburger in two years. That's not, that's not a way to win right. in there. So it's back to kind of, you know, balance and enjoying and how you view food. So it's a, a nutrition and health. So that was a big deal for me. Yeah. I tell my kids that they're eating stuff. There's no, you can have it, but there's no nutrition. I just want them to know what the word nutrition means. So I keep, you know, repeating the same thing. Sure, you can have it just so you know, but there's no nutrition in it. And you're going to have to have something, you know, before that, that has nutrition in it. We've always said, and I think Matt, develop healthy habits early. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And fit. Yes. Tell me about fit. You started, I mean, you were overweight. So I was really fit, like in high school, you know, I was vanity fit. You know, like I did some teenage bodybuilding stuff, you know, and then I was really fit like in my teens. And I think even like freshman, sophomore year, maybe of, of college until I started to fall, you know, completely off the wagon, you know, there. But that was all like vanity fit, you know, and, and when you're in your teens and that young, your body responds, you can go out all night drinking and work out the next day and, and you're fine. Um, you know, when I got when I graduated from college and when you start working and then you have your first child, the next thing you know, I knew I was like, holy crap, like, I'm actually overweight. Like, I think I'm in decent shape, but guess what? That I am not anymore. You know, like, the mirror doesn't lie. Like, guess what? Like, you're pushing 200 pounds right now. You're not that tall. At what age? At what age were you 200 pounds about? Tell me the age. Upper 20s, early 30s. Okay. Okay. In there, I was was pushing it. Things were not getting tucked in, you know, very well. The pant, you know, the suit size was up. The pants size was was way up. Um, And and I still thought I was like doing okay. No, you know, because like it's kind of gradual. And then one day you're just like, what in the world is going on here? Greg, I find that's the biggest issue with so many of, um, of our friends. Brad and I, we socialize and it's one of the biggest things we know with women, they can have terrific figures and always say, you know, well, you know, but all the women, you know, that we know pretty much are in great shape, but the men just are out of shape. And for some reason, they don't realize what can happen at their age when you get to a certain age. I'm going to tell you, my brother, my older brother, Chuck, went to a doctor when he was in his 40s, late 40s. And because of the family history that we have of heart disease, he actually told my brother, I don't want you, you're a little overweight and I don't want you to be the right weight. I want, I need you to be underweight. 
And it all, it stuck with me. This had to be maybe 15 years ago, but it's always stuck with me that the doctor said, because of your family history of heart disease, I need you to be underweight. And I think that is a very good barometer for a lot of men to maybe just for health reasons. Cause I was like you, I used to work out just for vanity. Now I find myself going to the gym because I need to do my cardio. I need to stay fit. I need to keep the heart rate going for my children to be there for them in 20, 30 years from now. Absolutely. I think, you know, now the way that I train aesthetics are a bonus, you know, aesthetics are a bonus. I love that. Metabolism changes as you get older. Again, what used to come easy to you, the way your body used to respond, the energy level, those things change. And when you're in your late 20s and 30s, you know, like I was, and you're drinking and you're smoking and you're socializing and going out, and then you're putting in a little time at the gym, but you're certainly not getting the results that you used to, it creeps up on you. You're not sleeping the way that you're that you used to. You've got these young kids, the days are long, the nights are long, and it creeps up on you. And it's a pound, it's two pounds, it's five. And the next thing you know, you're close to two. 200 pounds and you're wearing 35 inch pants instead of, you know, when you never got beyond a 30, you know, two before, and you're still kidding yourself, you know, that you, you know, still your shoulders are still broader, you're there, but you're not getting it done. You're, you're not getting it done. How do you motivate? How, how would you motivate somebody? Again, you get back to controlling what you can control. Yeah. I know. What is it that you want to do? Is this acceptable to you? Do you want to continue to go down this path? And with a lot of guys, honestly, here's the other thing. Things change. So like we used to play sports. We used to get to, you know, we used to be on teams. We used to play sports. We used to do this stuff, whether it was in our fraternities or college, or we were in a league for the first couple of years that we got out of school. And then you, it it trails off. But we both know that's not exercise. You know, when my friends or certain men tell me or relatives say, oh, I I play hockey once, I play basketball once a week. That's nothing. Don't tell, that's not what exercise is. Exercise is every day of, of, of a certain amount of cardio or workout. I think it's a lifestyle. I think, first of yes. all, if you're doing something and anything you're doing is certainly better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's not about being extreme. I do think that it is about activity. Mm-hmm. If you're able to continue to engage in sports, if you're able to continue to prioritize your health and your fitness, you're back to kind of what is that lifestyle and what does that regimen and routine look like? Mm-hmm. And okay. what works What works for you? Whether it is, whether it's dancing, whether it's hockey, whether it's basketball, you still have to round that out with right. other things that are in there. But we're also not talking about this. I think a lot of guys also cast, you spend two hours in the gym every day. And you don't oh, I get that too. I, it's not true. It's, you know what? All you're doing, you're just, you're just trying to kind of, like, that's you, okay? Well, they're that's, trying to make it that in order, reasons, well, that- right? You know what they're trying to do. They're trying to let us know that, you know, we're only thin or look a certain way because we're spending two hours in a gym. But that's not true. It's not true for me. I don't know. Is it true for you? Do you spend two hours in a gym? No, I do. I do not. Um, okay, neither do I. The other thing, if I did, I would own it and I would tell you. And here's yes. a, here's a wide again difference between mm, the guy that spends two hours in the gym to perform or to run these rate or do these other things. And the guy who just needs to be fit. Those are extremes. The guy who's telling you, you must spend two hours in the gym and you got, and you only eat these foods and you everything. All he's doing is just covering for the fact that he ain't doing it. 
Mm-hmm. No, it, right, exactly. And, Listen, and, 45 and, minutes, 45 minutes a day for a man, they should do cardio. Let's move on to fashion because one thing I did see about you and I liked is that you're a fitness fanatic because not that you spend two hours in a gym, I know that, but you take pride in your body, but you don't live in workout clothes. You actually, on your Instagram, I see that you are pretty dapper. I love your blazers. They fit nice. In other words, you're not just dressing up, but you dress nice. You dress, you dress well. So you're, tell me about that. Thank you. Um, what size? First of all, what size shoe do you wear? Not for any kinky reason. I'm just curious. Uh, I'm, I'm like between a ten and eleven, depending. Okay, on interesting. Green who okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just. I always get curious, and I noticed that you do like your blazers with a t-shirt, which I love. I love the look for you. I think it works for you. Thank you. This your is business. Good. I'm, I feel good now. I'm, uh, the expert is helping me right now. This is yeah, good. I mean, I don't think you need any help. I think you're doing it. But talk about why fashion is important as part of the six Fs for men. Mm-hmm. For me, it's really about being comfortable and confident in there. Um, and even when I say comfortable, I'll tell you, some of my clothes are kind of like when clothes fit the right way, it takes you a little while to get to start feeling comfortable in them because it feels weird you know, when you've been buying everything too big for too long. Mm-hmm. So I've learned a lot about about fit and cut and, and style. Um, I really like it. It makes me feel good when I wear something that feels good on me and I feel looks good on me. I perform better in every other area of my life. The outfit that I put on to go to the gym helps me get a better workout in than that schlubby, ill-fitting, you know, shirt or looking like you don't give a crap overall. Right, right. Get dressed, and it doesn't mean fancy. I look, I am not a suit and tie guy. You know? I'm, I'm certain. Um, I think there are ways to wear suits, you know, that, that look a lot better, you know, and they're a style and they're guys that I really emulate their style and I think do a really great job in it. Um, but I also think you can look very put together. You can look, you know, successful and you can convey an image through the clothes that you wear. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, super fancy, great jeans, great yeah. boots, a really great watch. I live in sunglasses because I can't stand my eyes. Like certain things like, like what makes you feel, what makes you feel a certain way? Wait, that's so random. I want to know what, what don't you like about your eyes oh we all have we all have insecurities no no but that's random that i never heard i hate my eyes okay tell just tell me what's the deal with the eyes i got one eye that's smaller than the other because i have a blood clot issue like a long okay i'm like crazy self-conscious about my eyes and pictures and doing stuff so i tend to live in sunglasses you know, that way. So you'll okay, see got a it. lot of pictures. And I also don't take a lot of pictures looking straight at the camera. So now you're getting it because I feel like things look a little, a little off. Like we all have these things that we- I know, I got it. So now fashion, so getting back to fashion for a second. So my biggest pet peeves is people that are workout people and they stay in their workout clothes all day. Yeah, I get that. I, yeah, so to me, that's not putting your best foot forward. That's that's kind of giving up a little bit. Not athleisure, it's athlete, <laughs> Brad, Brad says, it's not athleisure, it's athlazy. <laughs> they don't want to get... Okay, then I want to get to my next thing, which is I started saying... I'm sorry, did you want to say something else? I just want to answer that really quick because yes. I'm going to say maybe to that. I see both sides of this. Okay. Uh, in one side, again, if those workout clothes, athleisure wear, again, if that makes you feel good, it makes you go 
eat a healthier meal again at the restaurant with your girlfriends or with your guy friends after where again, maybe you were 50 over pounds overweight and now you're not, if it gives you that confidence and that pride and it helps you to continue to live that lifestyle, then again, I'm all, I'm all for it. I mean, for okay. me, I like to get out of those clothes. Mm-hmm. Great. What okay. Listen, good for you. I'm not on board with that one, but good for you. You're definitely a better person than I am. The next <laughs> The next thing I love that you said is I haven't said it for many years. My mom was sick for many years and I was, I went through a huge depression phase. And when I say huge, I mean, I'm going for over a decade. You know, my mom had a long disease and somebody else was sick before. And then I woke up one day and I said, I want to live. I want to have fun. I want to have fun. I'm going to say yes to things. I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to go out to dinner. I'm going to go to this concert, even though I'm not a fan of concerts. I'm just going to say yes to things. And I, and I remember when I decided that I want to live and I want to have fun. So when you say fun as part of it, I think that's intense. I think that's really a smart thing to put in there because it sounds juvenile, but it's not. It does. I'll probably break down and cry right now because when you say I want to live, you know, the last words my dad said to me were, I want to live, not I don't want to die. And I think there's a huge difference there. And I see it with people who are alive and they're dying. And they're slowly dying because mm-hmm. they're not living. And there's a huge, huge difference there. So saying that you want to live and that you want to have fun is such a different perspective. I think it's such a positive and impactful and motivating perspective versus I don't want to die in there. So I love that. And, I, and it really resonates and connects you know, deeply to me. And, and I carry that. I want to live. I want to have fun. I don't want to spend these years and these days just getting closer to my death. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound to me like a productive, positive, and impactful life. And I'm not talking about changing the world. I am not going to change the world. I'm not trying to. Mm. Trying again to control what I can control. I used to love that phrase, like act locally, think globally. You know, like, (laughs) hey, if we all just handle our own shit, mm -hmm, take care of our families, take care of ourselves, take care of our friends, live honestly, authentically, be good people, we would lose so many of these other fucking problems out there. Amen. Stay in your lane. Amen. It's family, friends, community, neighborhood, country. This is how it has to work. That's how it works for me. Follow the advice you would give your kids. We completely overcomplicate this, especially as men. Mm -hmm. Just follow the advice you would give your kids. Right. I like that. Follow the advice you would give your kids. If you're in a think about, so if you want to know something, if a grown man wants to know what he thinks he should do, imagine one of your kids asking you the same question. What advice would you give them? Take that advice. Then do that in the boardroom. I mean, in the boardroom, then do that, you know, in the gym, then do what would you tell your kids to do? And if you're doing the same thing, guess what? You're making the wrong fucking choice. Oh my God, that's great. I love it. And the last one, finance, which to me is the most boring one. Just finance. It's just, you got to get your shit together. I've got it third Mm -hmm. in there. The reason being, mm -hmm, 
it matters. I don't like it either. I mean, like, I don't mean, like, just if we're going to put it on the table, like, I'm not that guy who, like, balances a checkbook, looks at spreadsheets and does all that, or is motivated by money and all of these other things. I'm not that guy, but it matters. I've got responsibilities. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I want them to live a certain way. I'm not the cheapest guy out there either. I want to have experiences, all of those things. You got to get a handle on it, whatever that means for you. It doesn't mean you got to be some hedge fund guy. It doesn't mean you got to be a tech titan. It doesn't mean you got to make gazillions, but you've got to be able mm -hmm, to live you know, within your means because it causes stress, anxiety, your relationships can break, all of these things, your health, it's all there. And money is just a tool. What I've learned over time, I've had money. I've had no money. I've had money again. Like It's just a fucking tool. So it's I think what you're saying, which is really smart, is live live within your means that's really when you're saying finances you're saying you have to look at your finances and see what you can do and whatever you're doing that you can't do stop doing it make smart choices again i had a guy call me the other day um about about coaching i'll just give you this example and here as it pertains to finance who was it <laughs> i can't tell you i know who it was it was tom cruise Tom Cruise was having money problems. Tell me. I, I, I wish I wish it was. <laughs> could you imagine? I think I could do some really good work with Tom. I really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we could. But it was not Tom Cruise. Okay. But as the he's a guy, he's raising money for a new business. He's raising money for a new business. He's divorced. He has two kids that are living in a different state right now. He's 46 years old. And he was questioning the cost of coaching or the you know, viewing it as an expense rather than an investment. Mm -hmm. And when I asked him certain questions, I said, okay, let me ask, do you, you know, do you belong to this? You mentioned you belong to this club. Mm -hmm. Why do you belong to that club? Mm -hmm. Hold up your hand. And he holds up, you know, the Rolex. What kind of car do you drive? Mm -hmm. Do you go out for dinner and drink? You're dating now, right? You go out for dinner every weekend. Where are you going on this? Okay, let's quantify that in terms of money. Mm -hmm. Do you need a $700 country club, you know, a month? Mm -hmm. Do you spend 500 a weekend, you know, socializing and drinking and eating? You're driving these cars. Now you got to get on a plane to go see your kids. You're raising $4 million for a business. You don't have a coach. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, you're not exercising. Mm -hmm. You don't have a nutrition. Like where you're spending your money in all the wrong places. That's what did I he get it? Did he get it? I want to know if he got it. Did he get it? I don't know. I'll tell you in 24 hours. Okay, good. I want to know. Send me a DM. I want to. I'm going to put it on the podcast after. By the way, that guy. Put that in perspective. Why would I invest in you? You're raising money. You're starting a new business. I want to know how you think. I want to know yeah, why. So he's trying to raise four million for a new business, but yet he's not even he's not even spending the money the right way. Right. So I'm saying, if you're running your business the way you run your wife, I'm not giving you my fucking money. Right. Okay. Here's what I want to know. Here's the guy I want to invest in. Here's the guy I want to help. Here's the people I want to work with. Guess what? Mm -hmm. You have to invest in yourself. It's an investment, not an expense. Flip the flip the lens on that. An expense is something that costs you money and you don't get any return. An investment is something where you put the money in and you want to return 5, 10, 20-fold. I write a big check every 90 days to my coach. Okay, so that was my question. Do you have a coach? Absolutely. You do. And here's another thing. If you're coaching and you don't have a coach, you don't believe in the product you're selling. 
Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I we like that. We should be investing in continuing our education and continuing to improve and get better. If you're not in good shape and you don't have a trainer, find the money for it, figure it out. Or you can find everything you want online. If online, you're struggling yeah. in life and you've got challenges, get yourself a coach. If you're wasting money in dinners on cars, on watches, on superficial shit, and you're that kind of poser that's out there, and you're looking the part, but you're actually not really authentically living the role, that's on you. Greg, do you know what I like about me? <laughs> what I like about me is that I've been saying, and I'm glad you're validating, because I've been saying this from the very beginning of my podcast from two years ago. I always joke around that I spent $1 million in therapy, whether it was psychology, psychiatry, psychotherapy, any which I've gone to all of them, life coaching. And I've always said it's the biggest investment you could make on yourself because that's gotten me through a lot. It's gotten me through a lot through my lifetime. You know, it wasn't easy being gay, being gay in the 70s, being gay in a religious Orthodox community, family. All of it was difficult, mm -hmm. but I will say if you can get the help and get the coaching, it is an investment on your body, mind, and soul. 100%. Could not agree with you more. Again, and I come from the side where I was not the believer. I was not the guy who was signing up for the group. You know, the coaching was not the guy who wanted to join this other thing, okay? Not the guy who thought he needed therapy again or coaching or even needed a trainer or this could not have been more wrong. And it also, I, it is never too late. You may be, you can be 49, 50, whatever. It is never too late to start. You can so, make the changes at any time you want to. You just have to believe that change is possible and start doing something different. What is it, a uh, coach versus therapy? Like, how does that differ? Hmm. You have a coach, right? You said you have a coach? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I work with a coach. Um, I don't see a therapist right now. I have in the past. I probably will again you know, at, at some point. Um, of course. I try to be relatively self-aware, you know, and again, lean into the directions where I think I need help for, for certain things. People are also like, well, you have a trainer? Like, why do you have a trainer? You've been working out for 30, you know, something years and you have a trainer's license yourself. Yeah. I want to work with the best in class and somebody that can make me better. I also don't want to have to think about programming my workouts and I want somebody to, to help me in these areas. And it's similar. It's similar with coaching. Um, I want support. I want yeah. somebody in my corner. I want somebody to call bullshit. I want somebody that I can vent to about these things. Again, that is not a therapy session, but it is about you understand my purpose, process, and payoff that I'm going for. And I work with my clients on that too, okay? Purpose, process, payoff. Mm -hmm. We got to have a plan. Right. And I need help sticking with my plan. Left to my own devices, I can get way off track also. My coach helps me coach my clients also in regards to not sharing their information or talking about them, but Hey, you have X number of clients. Okay. Are you documenting properly? Are you following up on that? Our invoices, you said, our invoice is getting paid. You know, our things, are, like, these things are a business and not all the business is fun. You know that right. too. 
Yeah, of course. I like what you said earlier about uh, getting back to therapy. You haven't. I had the best psychiatrist when I went back to her. She cured me in one session. In one session. And I'm going to tell you how she cured me. Even though I believe it's the best investment. She told me I owed her $450 for the session for 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay, I'm going to see you next week. I said, oh, you just cured me. And she made a joke. She goes, how is 435? I said, no, no, I'm serious. You just cured me. I mean, this was after I had the kids. This is after when I just went back to her for a little bit of a brush up. My anxiety started acting up. It felt good. I sat there. I vented to her. And then, you know, I went to go pay her. And I don't remember. I didn't see her in a couple of years. And her, she's a psychiatrist. So her fee went up to 450. And I was like, okay, you just cured me. Okay, so now. A really good point, though, um, about curing you know or being cured my initial program is 90 days you know for example you're not cured or fixed in 90 days we set a beginning a middle and an end solely so you can make a choice of whether or not you want to continue did you feel like you got return on your investment and how would you like to proceed and force anybody into anything but you're not going to be cured. We're not going to change the world or revolutionize your life over the course of 90 days. What we're trying to do is put you on a path to success, we're trying to create a, something that is sustainable, that is consistent, that works for you, and that you have the support that you need. So some of my clients continue, boom, just the same way I do. We just keep going. We just keep going. I'm not graduating from this. I need help every day, every week. Right. Others will say, hey, I'm going to take a break or, or let's check in monthly or let's do this every two weeks. So there's there's flexibility and it's fluid because life changes. And also, look, budgets change. All sorts of things change. There are periods where I'm operating and I feel wonderful. Okay, And my conversations are very light with my coach. And there are other periods where I am completely stressed out and everything is going wrong. And I really need you to help me in there too. It's peaks and valleys. Yeah. I think you definitely honed in on something very specific. And I think it, it it's great. The midlife mail. If anyone hasn't listened to it, you should listen to the midlife mail podcast with Greg Scheinman. But before I let you go, I want to ask you a question about Harvey Weinstein. I know you had a, I know I heard you had a run in with him. First of all, I didn't know you produced stuff. What did you produce? And why did you stop? I thought I wanted to be in the film business when I graduated from college. Uh -huh. um, it seemed glamorous. It seemed fun. You know, it seemed like I didn't have to wear a suit. You know, all of those right. things. Entertainment seemed cool. And until Harvey Weinstein told you to take your panties off, tell me <laughs> what happened. Fortunately, that did not happen. Right. <laughs> but it sounded like a cool business. Um, and my first job out of college was at Miramax Films. So that was ninety. Five and I landed on Harvey's desk as Harvey's assistant, and that was my first. That was my first exposure to the entertainment. Okay, so how long were you Harvey's assistant for? Um, less than two years. I, I okay. lasted. Less that's less a okay, but that's a long time. It's you had to have seen something going on. I mean, didn't you know that? Uh, did you sense at all? I know you were young and you were working under him as his assistant, but at any point did you think that this guy's a perv? Yeah, go back to ninety five. Go back to ninety five. Okay, um, and and brilliant guy. Miramax was very successful overall. Really tyrannical in terms of a, of a of a boss, you know, overall. But in statement that I can and that I can clearly make on it is, I didn't care for him, and I left. I never saw anything illegal. I didn't like the way I was treated. 
treated a lot of people extremely poorly. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. Okay. Isn't but it funny now he's exactly now he's in jail? Yeah, but I'm saying the it was very it was very simple for me. It was very cut and dry after that. It was again, if my dad knew I let you talk to me this way, okay, he'd be turning over in, in, in his grave. So I'm done. I'm out. It was, wow. it was as simple as I never had the foresight again. I never thought about, I'll never work in this business again or this. It, that stuff never crossed my mind back then because I was young, egotistical, you know, like doing whatever the fuck I wanted to, felt that I was bulletproof. And it just, it never connected to me that I couldn't go on and achieve and do or whatever. Um, maybe also because I wasn't so committed to that, to that business. But look, it's all out now. I mean, you, it's it's all there. It's all out. I don't know how anything ever changed from the minute I walked out walked out the door. I didn't care for the guy then, twenty plus years ago, and it was that simple. When I told him that, and I left. And you left. And look at that. Your instinct was right on point with Harvey Weinstein. So whoever is listening to this, you need to follow Greg Scheinman. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's really, it's really uh, creative. It's at Greg Scheinman. Okay. Oh my God. How did you come up with that? Did you have a PR team come up with that? At I Greg know. Scheinman Instagram handle. That's his Instagram handle. And you have to listen to his podcast. He is the host of the Midlife Mail. And he also has a, a weekly newsletter. So even if you don't want to, you know, hire him as a coach or whatever, you can get all this information, take what you want and throw the rest away. He really is. It's inspiring. And you were kind of mesmerizing. I will say yes. when I listen. Thank you so much, Richard. It's a great point. Listen, all of it is available for free. You can download my free no BS guide to maximizing midlife. You don't have to be in midlife to enjoy, I think, and get some value and takeaways from these things. It's all free. It's out there. And um, midlife can be great. Yeah. Should be great. Midlife should, should be. be great. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me real quick about the book. You have a book coming out. You have a book deal or, or am I wrong? I do not, I do have a book coming out through Amplify Publishing. It should be out um, in June. What'd you say about me in the book? Anything? <laughs> we got to put book. you in the book now. Maybe we'll do a re- we'll do a quick rewrite. Okay? I'm, yeah, no, do a quick rewrite. Get me in the book. Well, congratulations. What's the name of the book? So we can look out Absolutely. for it. It's the, it's the midlife mail. It's a guide midlife to maximizing mail. midlife, living healthier, wealthier, stronger, happier, uh, and having more sex. And what guy wouldn't want that? Perfect. That's how we're going to end it. Greg, thank you for coming on. It was such a pleasure. This is awesome. Rich. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll see you soon, buddy. Take care. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.